0: got kind of a podcasting, Charles McFall, you know what we do. You know how we do it. This is motivation that'll keep you going, make your world rocker where you rock out your life. Mike, let's go ahead and rock this thing out today. What do you got for me?
1: All right, sir. This week's topic we're going to uh, we're going to jump back to you know how every now and then during a show you'll be you know on a topic and getting ready to jump to a new topic and you'll reference something you maybe want to come back to later. This is one of those, and the idea is trying to live your life, trying to move forward, trying to make the progress that you're trying to make while at the same time setting up a safety net just in case it all goes horribly wrong. So how do you feel about the idea of trying to live an active progressive life while still having that fallback position? Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What do you think? How do you live a live progressive life with a big tide
0: to an anchor? That's how I feel. There's definitely some stories, but my, my ultimate thought is the fear that goes into it, and I understand it is a scary thing, but the, the idea of having a safety net, right? The safety net is a fallback position. It is a, if you fall, doing this awesome thing like a trapeze, right? There's a trapeze swinging. There's a big net. If you fall, you will die. So here's a big safety net. However, to me, the safety net says you can fail. It's okay. You can fail. You always have this. And you never reach hard enough. You never reach far enough. You don't go, if I don't catch that next trapeze that's swinging at me, it's over. So I've got to catch it. And that's the kind of person I am is just push forward. Now, am I surrounded by people like that? Mm, not really. <laughs> My wife loves stability. She loves uh, knowing what's coming. And so here's some stories. And here's where I, where I got on this. I was a paramedic for many years. Uh that was my first profession of choice, really. I'd gone to school for criminal justice, and the school didn't work out. And I went to school because it was a safety net, right? I didn't know what I wanted to do. And instead of taking the time to figure out what I wanted to do in life, now I took the right path. I learned some hard lessons about life. I learned how to let go of religion because I went to a religious school that was way more in the reeds than my family ever was. I think my dad actually tried to taught me how to go into that school at some point. uh, If I remember correctly, Uh, my dad, the preacher tried to say, this school's a little out there, man. They, they, they're very fundamentalist. Are you sure you want to go here? But my dad's very passive. He's not even passive aggressive. He's just very passive. And so instead of telling me what it really felt and why he felt it, he just kind of like, are
1: you sure?
0: And of course I'm, 17-year-old gung-ho. Yeah, yeah, I was just, uh, the world's at my fingertips. And this is what I'm not looking at the things that are going on there. It's Bob Jones University, for those of you who are curious about it. Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina. And it's an openly fundamentalist Christian school. Whew. Man, it is it is boot camp for Bible people. Their biggest thing is making preachers. And the way they make preachers is horrible. But uh, I actually don't believe in seminary either. My dad went to seminary, right? Uh, I guess churches maybe look at that. I I don't know. My path on everything now is go do you. If God called you to preach, you go out and talk about what you got to preach about. Learn some things, study. Do you need to go to seminary? Why? Oh, you know, these big churches, they want to know what school. Well, they're egotistical bastards because Paul never graduated from seminary, right? Right. Paul killed Christians. <laughs> that's what he did until he became Paul. I think Matthew was a tax man. John was a fisherman. I don't remember all of them. But all the disciples and then the extended disciples after that who went out. So I'm just saying, why? You know, Why have the safety net? Why do you have to go do this? To Blah, blah, blah. So I went to school because that's what my mom always said I had to do. And I don't know if my dad agreed with her or not. My mom was my main educational influence in my life. I was homeschooled. She led that. Uh, my dad definitely did some some cool things with it. But he was the, much like in my family, he was the breadwinner. So he left the house all the time to go make sure bills were paid. And my mother took care of the house, which included teaching us. I just remember always being taught. Literally, this is what she said. You got to go to college. You don't want to flip burgers the rest of your life, do you? Which I've actually never flipped a burger in my life. And that's a whole, I think I've actually touched on that mindset of A job's a job and, you know, you can do good things in in everywhere. But I went to college because, not because I wanted to, but because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. Spent a year there and didn't work out (laughs) at all. So I come home and while I was there, I talked about this part. I saw some people in the ambulance. I had touched that world of public safety. Saw that EMS could be an easy job for me to then go on to do whatever else I wanted to do. So on, so forth. But I did. I became a, a paramedic which was a noble profession, right? Which (laughs) you put noble in front of anything. That means it's underpaid and you don't make a whole lot of money. And in this case, it was super stressful. And because I'm not paying my bills, right? I'm away from my wife. I I can't provide for my family. I'm dealing with the politics and the day-to-day of everything. I'm growing up dealing with myself, which is also very stressful, newly married, stressful, you know, not sleeping a whole lot, depending on where, what station I'm at and what's going on, it's stressful. So <laughs> there's all that. However, on the outside, everybody looks at it as job security, right? Yes, you can always be a paramedic. I could literally go back today, take, I think I have to take a certain amount of hours, maybe 16 hours of recertification, and I can get my numbers back. And then I can get on a truck, I can teach, I can do whatever I want in that profession. There's job security. They will always need people. Who can help? There's no love for it, for me. No love. I and mean, I see an ambulance nowadays, it barely registers on my radar. I see an ambulance in the rain on a car wreck. I'm like, oh, thank God, that's not me. I'm helping people out with my words. I'm helping people out with my life and my voice and anything else I can do. Medicine I was good at, but I hated the practice of it. Because you watch TV, right? And this is a little side note. And this is what I do on this show. I go on side notes. This, this is my show. Maybe we call it the side note show. <laughs> That's what we'll do. You watch. You watch TV, right? And the analyst always shows up to be the heroes of the day. Either in the background as some big thing went on and, and the analysts are there cleaning up the mess at the, the end of the movie or the end of the show. Or you watch and they come in they save lives and... Get you to all those heroic things. Well, bringing out the dead is a, I, I don't know if it's a good movie, like an entertainment factor movie, but it's a great movie in capturing some of the essence, the stereotypes of EMS. I mean, there's definitely the burnout. There's the abusive person. It's been a while, so I don't remember all the stereotypes, but I've watched it a couple of times and talked with paramedic friends of mine about it. And we all agree uh, they captured the stereotypes of the archetypes, if you will, of EMS quite well in that movie with Nicolas Cage. There's just all this reality to it that you don't expect. And the lights and sirens, you get numb to them. Cause nine times out of ten, they're just technically, legally, they're required or whatever because of the type of call. But you know, for the most part, it's not what it presents to be on the call. Oh, chest pain. Oh well, your chest pains because uh, you ate a whole lot of chili and you're burping constantly, and you have no history of heart failure in your family or yourself, and you have no medical history, so you're not really having a heart attack. But and you get you you get drugged down into things through life. It's I, I'm trying to avoid the negativity of what I feel about the profession of living in the profession because I think it'd be different now with the mindset and how I see life now and how I see myself. I totally believe that it would be different now for me. Perception is pretty much everything and how you shape your reality. It can affect others. And I'm a very much a person who affects other people's reality. But for some reason, I'm feeling stuck on it. I guess to describe one of the things that helped me cut free all safety nets. I'm in it, right? I'm in it. And I guess this probably describes it the best. I'm jumping from service to service, not a lot, not very quickly. I, mean, I spent four years at one service, hit yeah, a speed bump, hit a road bump. It was during the time that I was coming to respect myself, right? Coming to, to understand I deserve respect as a human being. And that's where you start. Everybody's a human being. Let's establish a basic, you're alive. Here's some basic respect for life quota, right? That's, that's the, the minimum. And I was starting to get that. And at that time, I wanted you to talk to me like a human being. I would talk to you like a human being. If you cussed at me, I'd cuss at you type of deal. But I I think my memory says I worked hard at living that. I'm going to speak to you respectfully. I'd like you to speak to me respectfully. Let's talk to people instead of yelling, shouting, and, and calling names and all that jazz. That's my memory. I could have done it differently. But it came to a head when... I, something about me rubbed the owner the wrong way uh, or one of the owners. I, I can't remember exactly how the company was run, but I know there is a family business, but the eldest, I think he's the eldest son. Something about me just rubbed, rubbed him the wrong way. He was the one, I believe I told the story about running the, the off-duty cop off the road because he was an idiot. No, that was on EMS. I was, I was on my EMS show, which is called uh, EMS Underground. I do that Thursday afternoons on uh, Facebook on uh... <laughs> uh institute uh Georgia institute of ems on facebook uh, i work with them and do that show there I, I got in trouble for doing something safe and right and thought i made the right call and even defended it and was safe about it and this idiot overreacted and then called uh well since it was my boss and this same guy that i guess i rubbed the wrong way well what i didn't tell him that story was when he wrote me up i ripped him apart he yelled at me on the radio, which pissed me off, right? I go in, and I'm trying to defend myself, and he's just not hearing it. He's taking this. He don't even know the guy. It's just somebody who called in who said they were an off-duty cab police officer, which I have zero belief that that's true because of the way they react. And I told him that, too. I was like, really? Because a cop would panic and run their SUV up on a concrete median instead of doing what, like, every other civilian did around them, which is just kind of stop and move to the side so I could come through. Really? That's that's a police officer. So he wouldn't listen. But here's the thing. On the write-up, there's three levels of write-up, right? There's a warning. And I think is a, yeah, a, a warning, a verbal, and then the written is the official, you you know, you're in trouble. And you're supposed to get the warning first. And I would not done anything bad, so I was supposed to get the warning well, he marked all three. He wrote this thing up. Once I realized he wasn't gonna listen to me, I did what I do best. And I started ripping him apart with his own words. And I probably sealed my fate at that point. But I was defending my respect. I was defending myself. Right? My respect for myself. Treat me like a human being. You're treating me like shit right now. You're treating me like trash. I'm gonna point out all the flaws in your life right in a second, starting with this piece of paper that you put in my hands. Which is it? Which is it? I thought you knew how to run a company. This says you marked all three warning, verbal written, which is it? What do you got? And I mean, he finally had to leave and let my commander take over. And she's like, Oh, look, it's just a warning. We're going to tear this up. Don't worry about it. I got in a little trouble, which I shouldn't have. I, in my opinion, but that was to remember my memory of the start of it. So when I left that company was because something else happened. I don't remember what happened. He overheard me saying something to somebody. It was none of his business. It wasn't company related. Everybody says stuff all the time. I don't. I honestly don't remember what set off, but he came in and squared off with me in the communications center and just started yelling at me. And I shut down immediately. I got mad. I'm like, "Why are you yelling at me?" And he was just screaming. And he started cussing. And so I cussed him back because one, I'm twice as big as him, and not going to take shit off of anybody at that point in life, especially. And two, he cussed at me first, so I cussed at him. And he threatened to write me up for being insubordinate. Uh, I think somebody intervened, somebody with authority intervened, and I think I was supposed to be getting off shift anyway. I don't remember. I didn't get in trouble. I didn't get sent home. I remember I got to walk away and get away from it. Pissed off. I was still to this day. I don't have any use for him because he literally never gave me the time of day. He never treated me like a human being, ever. And for whatever reason, he decided I was going to be his punching bag. I've got no use for you at all. I saw him one time in public, didn't even acknowledge him. Knowledge people with him I'm like, hey, yeah, the hard feelings against that company. If I needed to, I'd try to get back to that company. However, hell, yeah, don't got no use for it. So I left, went to another company, and is that that can another private company is a fly by night service, but I knew I could get a job there until I figure out what I needed to do. And I I was sitting there and I made a bad decision, but this wraps up what I feel about Safety Nets, because that time I was not actually figuring out my life. The other topic we could have done today was when you can't find progress, find happiness. I had no idea of that concept then. So this is going to touch a little on that uh, because you're going to see what happens when you don't find happiness and all you're looking for is a savior outside of yourself. I need somebody to say, I need somebody to recognize my skills I need some, maybe there's some other magic bullet. If I go to school and get some kind of information, I can open up a whole new world and go somewhere different and make tons of money and have peace. The reality is all it's within you. The reality is if it, it is within you and I made a bad decision. This sums up how I feel about my activity in the profession of paramedic is I don't remember what kind of call it was. I just remember feeling depressed, getting ill, things weren't happening right. I was distressed. I wasn't communicating with Erin very well at all. She was working, I think, full-time. Then, uh, or maybe, no, she, was she going to school full-time? I think she was going to school. She was going to school full-time. I was trying to work full-time. And, I mean, just bad juju kept happening to us. Well, that's because we were attracting it, but that's... I, I want to give that, that reality as I give the negativity. Because I'm not dwelling in the negativity. I'm avoiding dwelling in the negativity. To just paint this picture of where I was. And it was kind of dark. And I just remember sitting on the bench. The the jump bench in the ambulance. Sitting on the side bench. On the way to the hospital with somebody. And going. Something's got to give. I have got to get out of here. I am miserable. We're never getting ahead. Because here's the other thing people. For five years. I worked at different companies, mostly one company, but different companies, fought the good fight, became, you know, captain or a lieutenant, you get some promotion, definitely became a paramedic, did what I could to rise up in the field, to make more money, to beca- get a good life for my family, never could break the $32,000 a year marker. As a person who lives loud and who grows and knows that I'm destined for greatness and knows I have a lot more in me to do and to be and to share. Having that, that ceiling there made me feel dead inside. Just could not break thirty two thousand. Well, how do you break thirty two thousand? Either you stay with the company forever and just slowly get incremental increases, or you go to another company, hopefully and they'll pay you more. Or you get two jobs. That's how you break it in that field. And I've heard now that pay is somewhat considerable. And the advice I'd give myself is is it came too little too late. I oh, that's it too. I was buying I had bought a house and all this other stuff. Uh but it's managing your money better. I raise a family of six on about twenty two thousand right now. So that's a good ten grand less a year. And then it was just me and my wife. So obviously I wasn't managing my money nearly as well as I should have. But I don't realize this in that moment. In that moment I just know something has to change. It's it's I'm feeling dead inside. I'm getting depressed. I have zero vision for the future. Nothing's going to change. It won't grow. Podcasting hadn't quite come around at that point. Every band thing that I tried was failing. Because that was my outlet then was music and trying to put together a band. And it was all failures. So I made a decision to go to school and get an IT degree. Because I I love computers at that point. I really loved computers. Knew them inside and out, quite literally. Built them for myself, for my family, friends. Was really good at it. And it was a passion of mine. And so I decided I was going to go to school for it. Now, here's where I'm stressing that I decided. I did not talk to Aaron at all. I applied to American Intercontinental University. Talked to them about getting a loan. And incurred, I think, $11,000 in debt for a year of school, which would not get me the degree. It would actually just finish up what I had done with the college before and get me an associate's degree, which then I would turn around and get more debt and spend about two years, uh, I think, to get uh, my IT degree. And so I take my wife to dinner, which, you know, again, bad money choice, and just spring this on her. And of course, and we're in public and she gets mad and we get into a fight. And it was a thing and it, it took a while and... This is what happens when you're trapped in your head. And I'm painting this picture so you understand what actually made me see Safety Nets as a drowning anchor. Now, I take full responsibility for my choices. But I also take responsibility for who I am. And who I am is living loud, living large. And it's moving forward. And I always catch that next trapeze because I wait. To see the timing on it. I study it. I understand it's coming and What the world sees as a trick is, a, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened. I see as years and years of study and practice, and I know exactly how that feels to grab it. And I know I am going to grab it when the time is right. And boom, here it comes. And I grab it, and everybody goes, oh, my God, I can't believe he did that. Well, because you didn't see all that went into it. And I've really tried to show my wife that more. So that became a, a, a darker period of time. I stayed in EMS for a while. My my first son was born, and my wife dropped out of school to have him and I finished up my school and got my associate's degree and Here's the other thing I went against myself, and all this just play into safety nets. just just stick with me here. I went against myself because I never believed truly in my heart. I never believed I needed a piece of paper to unlock any doors for me ever, but everyone around me believes that my wife wanted to go to school. Just because, like, well, what what do you want to do with it? And I don't remember what she started to go. I think business management was what she started to do. What it, it pisses her off? And it was not intentional. It was just the way they went. I didn't know it was going to be this. But to finish up my associates, my two-year, right? To finish up the second year-ish of my credits from my college time at Bob Jones so I could get the IT stuff, I got an associates degree. It happens to be in business management. It wasn't a choice. It was just here. You have to have these classes. And when I was done is when I found out it was called business management, which is what she was studying. So she's pissed off that I essentially got her to drop out of school. It's a it's a whole, that's a discussion that if we were to tell that story, I'd want her on to talk about it with me to, to really flesh out what happened during that time. But we were wanting to start a family. She got pregnant. She went to school for as long as she could. She had to drop out uh, to have the baby, right? Because you have the baby, and then you have time at home with the baby. Safety nets, man, they will drown you. Because I think that was hers. I think hers was school. School is always this thing. Well, she always had this idea. We actually talked about it last night. She always thought it would be cool to go to a mechanic school and so she could help fix the cars and stuff and save us money and help take care of even grandkids. You know, you bring the car to granny, and we'll work on it. That's a cool aspiration. And it's a cool idea. There's nothing saying she'll never do it. But right now, it's just a cool idea. She would love to get like a nursing thing so she can really understand how to help people better. Like she's helping her mother right now with some health stuff and doing the best she can as a, a lay person, if you will, is what they would call it in a church, as a civilian. She wouldn't mind having that education. Cool idea. There's another hairstylist. She would love to go to beauty school for the, the 9 to 18 months or whatever it takes so she learn to cut our hair better because uh, we have to go. We just went, three of us, my three-year-old daughter, my tw- 11-year-old son, and myself got haircuts. And after tip, you're talking about $50, which is cheap, I know, but it's still a lot of money for us. You know, it's like, God, $50 for a haircut because we still go to like a great clips or something. And I understand to actually get somebody who understands me and my style to get a stylist, it's going to be a lot more. So she loves the idea of her going, herself going to beauty school, figuring it out and, and sharing that. All great ideas. And when the time is right and when you have time, money and a purpose, there'll be great executions. But at the time she went to school, it, she just had, she wanted radiology and nursing and this and that and somehow ended up in business management because of. I don't know what reasons. And when I kept pushing her. I was like, why do you want to go to school? What will you do with it? What job, what doors is it going to open? I don't know. I just want that piece of paper. What's her answer? I had to learn to, to let that go because it bothered me. It really bothered me. A piece of paper. Basically, it, to me, that's a safety net. You're buying into the world's lie that if you have this piece of paper, you're safe. No, baby, you ain't safe. There is no safe in this world. What well, there is is you doing you, and when you understand that, when you understand you tapping into who you really are and doing what you do best, you'll always make it through. It, won't, it, it may never be easy, and right now it's not easy, but you'll make it through. So she was going to school for her safety net, and it really ate at me. And for whatever reason, I, I chose that path, though, because everybody's saying, oh, you know, decrees, decrees." degrees. Oh, oh. Get you paid. No, no, they won't ever. Some jobs require you have to have a degree. Let me tell you something. I've talked to myself into a few jobs that quote unquote required a degree. And I'm like, hey, I don't care about your degree. Let me tell you who I am, what I do. And guess what? I got a job. Got it. You know, that's just life. And I got to tell you, you know, this, I think this is the opposite of safety net for me in my mind. I never want to be somewhere. I am unwanted. And this happened, especially right after the, reset, the the economy went into recession and companies were downsizing and laying off like mofos. The market gets flooded with talented people. What normally would have been in an IT world, what would have been something that I easily could have walked in and taught myself into a job or, or just been qualified, period, just to go in and go, oh, you're, you're offering this supervisory level computer help desk kind of thing. That's three tiers above what you'd start out at. Let me tell you my history. Let me show you who I am. Boom, I can do this job. And I would have gotten it. So that situation changed to you have to have a master's degree. For what? For what? What are you talking about? have to have a master's degree to go, hey, I see what your problem is. And yeah, we can, I can make the decision to somehow help you or to understand that this isn't our problem. That's the job. That's the job you're selling. It's a personal skills job. It's an understanding where people are and how to help the customer job. Master's degree? Seriously? That does nothing for anybody. Case in point too, my wife and I love public libraries. We love to take the kids. We've introduced our kids as soon as we could, as early as we could into going to the library and learning and being part of the programs and using their computers to do learning games and checking out books and reading and It's a great thing. Well, at one point when she was considering jobs, she considered the local library master's degree to sit and get minimum wage at a desk to check books in and out. But somehow you had to have a master's degree. I think that was a misprint, but she couldn't get past it. But I was like, there's no effing way. There's no way that you need a master's degree to work at the library, to run the library, maybe to run the library system. Maybe. But to literally hand I see the people sitting behind the desk. You don't have one. This is the opposite of Oprah. You ain't got one. You ain't got one. You ain't got one. And you're getting minimum wage. Who wants to use a master's degree to get minimum wage? Are you kidding me? That's some of what happened. So that pointed the picture of safety nets, your master's degree, which will always keep you employed. Yeah. Underemployed. Yeah. Go get that minimum wage job because you have a master's degree and I don't. I refuse. I don't care. Not going to happen. So this is a progress that I'm going through in my life. And I'm slowly learning these things at that point in time. And I did. I I got my degree and I regretted it. It it became tough. I made a, a decision against who I am. Who I am was I trust myself. I know what I'm doing. I'll find a way. I was learning that process. Then I had to hit these walls over and over again to learn to trust myself and to see the good and what was coming. So, of course, started a family, went on to do other things. When I decided to leave paramedic, active paramedic medicine, my daughter, Crosby, who is now 10 years old, she was born. So I was on the ambulance in the county by my house. I'd cut, I'd cut and cut and cut and cut and cut. I'd filed bankruptcy and said, okay, you know, if I can work here by the house, especially at this station, that's less than a mile from me, I can actually walk to work. Even if I drive, it's a two-minute drive, so I'm saving on gas. I'm not driving 30, 45 minutes up the road to get to a job. I'm saving on gas by going here. I can cut my costs. I cut and I cut and I cut. I still didn't understand how to manage money. That came during that time. I went through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University during that time. I was still working on everything. My I realized I realized in that county it was it was a dead end. It was a dead end. There was no promotion. There was nowhere to go. There was no way to ever make any more money in that county. And I was dying And I hate people who resist change. And that county sure as hell did. They were a bunch of self centered good old boys who wanted to keep things small. Well, guess what? You keep things small, things die in economies and in cities and in counties. And it's that county is on the verge of death. I mean, they, I got out of there. I moved. I said, we got to get the hell out of here. There's no way you're going to keep anybody alive physically, much less financially. Everybody leaves this county to go work somewhere else because you strangle us to death and you won't do things like get an honest-to-God ambulance service in here. You think you can control it better, but not pay anybody anything. That was the thing. I was lieutenant making $10 an hour there. It came to 32000 a year. It was, ah. Oh. There were commissioners. That's who controls counties. There commissioners. There were former commissioners who came to a budget meeting who were bitching about the built-in overtime and are budget and i flat out just called. i had enough of it i called him out i said look let me tell you something you see all that overtime and you see this i make ten dollars an hour that comes out to thirty-two thousand a year to take care of my family that's all i make and that's working 24 hours at a time sometimes 48 hours at a time to make sure that at three in the morning when you need me i'm there and we do that often enough And when I said that to them, I was just to the point, I was a little rock goddish. I wasn't angry. I didn't yell. I was like, let me just tell you something. Let me educate you in a hard manner. Here's this. Bam, 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 bam. They in retirement made more than I did actively working. But their mindset was, oh, look on paper. There's all this. No, no, no. Here's reality. Smack. And it changed their perspective, but they didn't, they didn't care. They didn't move on. They were not active commissioners. They weren't gonna champion the cause. And since then, that place has gone to shit. I had to leave. And my daughter was born. After- Here's what I had to do. I had to let go of what I was holding on to. I was holding on to the paramedic lifestyle, which is one day at work, two days at home. But it wasn't satisfying. It wasn't paying the bills. I was becoming, as an up-and-coming podcaster during that time. And that allowed me to do a lot of that. I played video games. That allowed me to play video games. I was still somewhat of a child. Going, oh, I have my time. and Well, I wasn't taking care of my family. So when my daughter was born, of course, I take family leave. That's what I do is I try to take as much time as possible to be with my wife and children and be there with their babies and do what I can. So I took family leave. I knew when I took family leave, I was going to have to let go of my prejudices and my mindsets and find a job that gave stability to my family. And so I found an office shop. Mentally, I hated the idea of an office. I hated the idea of having to wear any kind of suit or tie or any kind of uniform. I hated the idea of giving up any freedom that I had. Because at that point, I was fairly free. I showed up on the ambulance on my schedule, went to their beck and call. But when they didn't call as a 911, I got to do what I wanted. I was creating this world of podcasting. And I was creating not the world of podcasting, but for myself, I was creating this world of podcasting where I became this person who was the expert in their life, who could entertain, who had this new medium to speak and do things and touch other people And is this whole new world. And I, I was chasing that. And I had a taste of that freedom. And I, I can't tell you how many jobs I applied to. I have zero idea. I applied to everything. And as long as it had, even if it had, I had a degree. As long as it said associates required, I applied, I applied, I applied, I applied. Won't do sales, so I've done sales, but I understand the back end of sales isn't to trust me to let me do my job, is to push and upsell and, and ridiculous quotas. No, no, thank you. No, thank you. Ultimately landed with cardio net, with PDS heart. And I went to the interview, rode my motorcycle, went to the interview in a hoodie and a t-shirt and jeans to an interview because <laughs> i didn't want the job i mentally and spiritually said okay i will look i will look. Out. i want to do what's best for my family i also know i have to protect my heart and myself and who i am and i went and sure i got the job instantly because they needed my numbers and it set a great tone for the relationship for the next seven years uh because they they accepted that i was a bit of a out there guy, you know, they called me a legend. You know, they, they said, God, you're, you're, you're like a cartoon character. You know, you just, would never know what to expect next, but in a good way. Sure. I'll take that. I mean, that was who I am. That's the rock God right there. Rock god of podcasting is where that really started to solidify. I told that story to say, you know, as I'm in this great job that is paying at that point, man, it started me at 38,000 a year. And went up from there. By the time I left, well, I didn't leave. By the time I was laid off, I was making almost sixty grand a year. Every week, the paychecks were the same or higher, right? So there was a stability there. Changed my life. My wife became this new person. She no longer worried. She knew exactly what was coming in. It let her breathe and be who she was. But every time I talked about letting go of my numbers, because I knew there was zero desire to ever step foot on an ambulance again. Ever. I knew that just thinking about the possibility of me putting on a uniform made everything inside of me curl up and and protect itself and scream no. I tried to express that, but my wife used the term safety net. She was, it makes me feel better because you'll always have a safety net. So I said, yes, I want to make you happy. I want to make you feel better. But here's the thing with paramedic medicine. I don't know if I was mistaken or if it changed, but I know recently when I talked to Tom over at Georgia Institute of EMS, he said that you don't have to stay active, work on a truck so many hours to keep your certification up. You just have to do the classes. But every two years, I think it was, I had to pay $75 to the state. or Maybe it was 175 I had to pay money to the state to recertify my numbers. I had to pay money to some school to get my... 40 hours of certification, recertification. I had to pay $150 to get my ACLS recertified. That's Advanced Cardiac Life Support. Uh, I had to do CPR. I had to get that recertified. Now, being in medicine, here's a little trick for you. Being in medicine, you know people who do CPR. And if, as long as they trust you, they'll just sign you off. I can do CPR in my sleep. There's no reason for me to pay $50 to $150 to go to an 8-hour class or a 16-hour class, which would be two days of BS, to do what I've done for a living for decades. So I had to put out this money and time and energy on something I left behind to die. I moved forward in my life. To me, a safety net is like saying I have this ex-girlfriend, this ex-wife. Well, okay, ex-wife is different, especially if you have kids. But I have this ex in my life, and I've moved on, and I, I dated this other person, and that didn't work out, and I dated this other person. But I still have this one X that I can always call up and rekindle something with. That's holding you back. That's defining yourself by your history. No, no, no. And finally, we were years into PDS Heart. And I think it was the second, because I had just recertified as I came into PDSR. And at one point, they required my paramedic numbers, so they paid for it. So I had just come in. They paid for me to recertify. I actually got some new certifications as well through them. Loving my job. It was fun. And that's where I learned the other topic of if you can't find progress, fun, happiness. And that's another show. But I was moving forward, doing things, making great money, building my podcasting empire, and knew there was never going back. There's never going back for me, ever. And I don't think it's truly good for anybody. And at some point, the company, because the the laws changed, Medicaid, Medicare, billing laws changed, where they no longer required paramedic to be behind your name or nurse to be behind your name to get paid for what we did. We did heart rhythms, uh, reports on heart rhythms. And when they hired me, it's because Medicare had said, you have to have somebody with these initials behind their name. And so... They brought me in because that's what they needed. And they helped me keep it up because that's what they needed. Well, as soon as it stopped being required, they said, rightfully so as a business. Hey, we'll help you. Like, we'll give you the time at work to do it yourself, but we're not going to pay for it anymore. And I paid for it once, one time after that. And it was a lot of money, a lot of, uh sitting down at the table late at night and drinking and going through an online course that I could teach in my sleep and having to wait on their timer because they have to make sure I've read it so that I can ace their test and move on. And it was such a drag. But my wife went into the safety net, and I finally looked at her and said, I will never go back to the ambulance. And at that point, it had been three or four years since I had set foot on an ambulance. I would have to really, really, I don't feel comfortable. I, I would be doubting my skills because I hadn't stuck an IV in four or five years at that point. I hadn't put a tube in somebody. And to go back and be in charge, that's what a paramedic is. A paramedic carries the medicine on the truck. The EMT is underneath a paramedic. So to basically go back and be responsible, to carry that responsibility for that ambulance for my partner and for the patients. One, zero desire to ever do that. Ever. Ever. <laughs> Two, I'm letting go of those qualifications. I, I have no skills there. And while I can relearn them, bleh, don't want it. So my wife sucked it up. I had sucked it up for years at that point and did the safety net. And so my wife sucked it up and said, okay, I can see it makes you miserable. We're actually making really good money. We're smart with things. And I trust that no matter what happens, you'll make things work. And she also felt like having a job and being good at it meant you'll keep it forever. And she had to learn the hard way. Mm -mm, Never true. But I believe a safety net drowns you. I believe a safety net anchors you. Because I had to carry it with me, right? I had to actively do things to keep that safety net there. I'm going to get into contingency plans. I'm going to get into plan B or alternatives. That's different. But a safety net is that idea, I can fall. I can fail. I can mess up. Which, again, what are you speaking to my reality that you feel like I'm going to fail inevitably and I need this net? Batman, I will always land somewhere safely. Swing away into the night. Do you not know who I am? I am the rock god of podcasting. I always land on my feet and I always move forward. It can be tough. Sometimes landing on your feet cripples you for a bit, but I always am able to move forward. I went to, through one of the most crippling things in my life through losing my house and losing my job and losing 60 grand and going from 60 grand to 18,000 a year immediately with four kids and a wife and a house. And that's why I lost the house. But we moved forward, we landed. And we move forward and refuse to let that define who we were. And that's why I hate safety nets. Is because if you have a safety net, you don't move forward. You bounce. You do whatever. Maybe you get hurt. You heal up. And you get back and do the exact same thing again. And maybe you get better at it. But eventually you hit that net again. Uh Uh-uh. No, man. No. I want to land, lick my wounds if I have to, heal up, and move on to something different. Move on to better. To more of who I am, and I proved that because I'd let go of that safety net years—two, three, four years—and no, at least three, because I spent three years at home after being quotey Fingers laid off. So I'd let go of my numbers at least a year before that, when the time came. And yes, it was brought up when we went through all that. She's well, if you had a, uh, if you had your numbers, you can get on the ambulance. This is true. But we know, I had to be smart with her. so we know $10 an hour, which is what I was getting paid when we left that field, 10 even $12 an hour, won't keep our house. We need a lot more money than that to keep our house, to keep our life, to keep everything good the way it was. So while yes, I could probably go get on an ambulance, we don't know that for sure. And it had been seven to 10 years since I'd been on an ambulance actively. So even if I had my numbers, I'm going to be that guy who doesn't know what the hell they're doing. Because medicine does progress and it changes. The way you do CPR can change. The drugs for the paramedic medicine on a heart attack change. The procedure change. There's a lot of learning that would have had to have been done. Could have been done, sure. Would have saved my house? I doubt it because what well, we are where we need to be. And that was the one thing I could tell her is we always move forward. How do I know this? Because look at our history. We always have. When these big upsets happen, when when weirdness comes and life changes hard, we always change with it. So safety nets, man, they they will drown you. If you're holding on to something, if you're going, ah, yeah, negative. This is stinging my, I I know I never want to do that. I never want to, I never want to go back and be a dentist again. I don't know. I I, I never want to go back and work in in this job again, but I know I can. So I'm kind of keeping that door open. Going with the ex, the ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend. Scenario, I'm kind of keeping that door open, kind of letting them, not saying, no, it's over and everyone talk to you again. I'm just kind of keeping that option on the table just in case I fail. You're betting on your failure and you're hurting that other person. And yet, no, you don't want to be with that person because if you did, you would. And when you're on the other side of that, and I think most people have been on the other side of that. You're on a horrible emotional roller coaster that you need to get free from that person. And it's tough. And that's the same thing with a job. Jobs come and go. Who you are stays. It can grow, it can become stronger, it can become louder, but who you are stays unless you let it die. And that's the thing. You can still be the phoenix. Even if you let who you are die and you get into a, for me, it would have been a church job where I had to wear a suit and tie and show up every damn day and push stuff I don't believe. That would have been me dying. It can come back, man. It's, it's your Yourself is immortal. You're, who you are is immortal. It doesn't matter how many times you try to kill it. It doesn't matter how many times you let other people try to kill it. The second you give it an, a chance, you look at yourself and go, who am I? It starts coming back to life. Sometimes it springs back. It explodes back. Sometimes it's little bits at a time. But who you are inside is immortal. You can always be who you are. So I want to talk about alternatives and contingency plans for a second. Because some people refer to their retirement as a safety net. Some people refer to rainy day funds, uh, uh, emergency funds. To me, those are not safety nets. Those are not, if I fail, I can fall back on this. No, 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 no. That's planning ahead. If you can have a million dollars in the bank and still live, that's great planning. When I went through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, we worked hard to get a thousand dollar emergency fund put away, and sure enough, we got tested the second we had a thousand dollars, so about an eight hundred dollar thing went wrong with the car. But for the first time ever in our lives, we didn't go have to go hat in hand crying with our hands down to our families and say, "Can we please have some money?" We're failures. We went, "No, no, we got this," and we paid the bill, and then we worked hard to get that money put back again, and we kept a thousand dollar emergency fund. And then something else happened, Lular. It's like the universe was assessing us. Are you sure you're on your own? Yep, we're on our own. And we did good. We planned well. Do I have that now? No. And I need that now. But right now, paying the bills is is tight and it's difficult. And you know what? I probably can't. I could probably do that. But here's what we have done, my wife and I, is that tax time. Tax time is like second Christmas for adults, right? Tax time is where we get money back from the government for those who are Middle or lower class, we get money back from the government. I, upper class, I would imagine you always pay. That's my imagine. Upper class is like 250, 100,000 or more. I don't know. I don't know the societal standards. I just know I've never hit a point in my life where I didn't get something back from taxes and I've made up to 60 grand. So if I, if I make 100, 150, 250, whatever it is, and then I'm always paying taxes, I can afford to pay taxes. It's cool. You know, I, uh, Nothing to say about that other than that. However, my point is, when we hit tax time, right, we get money back. Well, instead of going on a Christmas shopping spree like we used to do, we buy some things that we need. Last year was a, a king-sized mattress, which is a sizable investment. It was a, a few other things. But for the most part, we will take the money and plan the year out. What do we want to do this year? We'll have some money for bills. My wife will put away a $1,000. i will put away... I, I, we split the, the return, and she gets the majority of it because she's much better with money than I am. She's smarter than I am with it. I tend to like to buy my toys. I also tend to, if I have money, I tend to attract investment opportunities. So I try to keep lesser money to attract less opportunities because while I'm investing in my future, and I don't mean money-making schemes. I mean, hey, I can buy some gear for people in my network to invest in our future and grow the network. I have zero problems doing that. My wife has zero problems doing that. But we set a budget for that to say, let's, because I would spend it all. I would. I would invest every last dime back into the company into what I'm doing. But I'm smart. And I say, no, my family is just as important. So let me make sure she has enough money. She'll put away money for bills for the year. I think it's a house payment or two, just in case. That's our emergency fund. And when emergencies come, the money is there. I do the same thing. And, in fact, this tax season, I'm already planning. I'm saying this for you to listen so you can plan. I'm already planning to only get one or two things I need for my business that I perceive I need for my business. And I say perceive because I can probably make what I have work. But I'm going to look at investing into my business a little bit. But I'm going to hold the lion's share back for what 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 may come this year, what can come. Let me make sure my family's taken care of and we're taken care of. Contingency plan. Safety net is a failure and a fallback. A, a having things in place when thing, when life shifts is planning ahead. It's moving forward. It's being progressive. So what happens this year if I hold, let's make up a number. If I hold $3,000 and just put it into a savings account and say that's an emergency fund and I don't touch it until next tax time, I win because I have three grand. To turn around and invest, and to go into a conference, or into moving Mike's ass into my basement because he could produce my show live. You know, I I win if something shifts and I need that money to pay for life. I win because I have it there to pay for life. Win win safety net failure fallback. So that's what I want you to see. I want you to plan for your retirement. Make it important because that's a winning in the future. I want you. To have money set aside, $10 a month, and you'll have $1,000 before you know it, just to not touch unless there's an emergency. Then you can start, you know, now I'm going to start preaching Dave Ramsey. Then you can start paying off debt and all this other stuff, because if you looked at your bills, and you should, you'll realize most of it goes to debt. I personally pay, in generic terms, I pay about three to 400 maybe even $500 a month in debt right now. Two of those are still the student loans that are around my neck that I'm carrying with me from that bad decision without consulting my wife for a safety net, for a piece of paper. I thought if I had a piece of paper, I'd get different opportunities in life. Boom. You make your opportunity in life. You make it. The second I step away from that, I start sinking in the water. But let's look at the last two years I've been in this house. I've made my opportunities. Every once in a while, I work for the man. but For the most part, I work for myself. And through December of 2016, my bills are paid. Don't know about January yet. We're we're gonna figure that one out. Things are changing, but we will always make it through because I'm always willing to do the hustle. That's the thing. You never need a safety net if you're willing to do the hustle. If you know what you can do. If I had to, if I had to, I have friends that would help me out. I would get my numbers back. If I saw that was the clear path to take, to go teach, to go, you know, get on a. a non-emergency transport service and work some if that's what was needed i will do the hustle hustle. (laughs) every day i'm hustling anyway planning forward should have a whole different energy and a whole different life to it than a safety net to hold you back and that's what i hope you see in all this that's what i i hope i communicate is if you can let go of holding on to the side of the pool you'll then swim. Let's take it to the matrix. If you let go of your concept of reality, of your concept of this is how it has to be, maybe you'll fly. What have I said in other shows? The sun comes up tomorrow. Well, I think that's the end of a poem, and, and the sun also rises. I think that's a poetic quote. Life goes on. What's the worst thing that could have happened to me at that moment? Losing everything for my family. No job. No house. We had to move. I've made lemonade. We've moved forward. We're in a space we need, especially now with the unforeseen circumstances that's going on right now. We're in a spot that if we weren't right where we are, it'd be a thousand times more difficult than it is. Plan ahead. Focus on who you are, who you want to be, that future that you want, unwaveringly. And you'll find that that safety net will just drag you down until you cut it loose. So that's, my thoughts on safety net and how that is handled and definitely plan, plan forward, plan to win, put that money away, get that retirement done, get your kid's school paid for planning ahead is winning. I need you to help me out. I need you to go to rock of podcasting.com forward slash support. And there's different ways to help me out. You can leave an iTunes review. I've got the link right there. You can click on it. Leave me an iTunes review, share this with everybody. Tell everybody to come listen. Now, I self-censored a little bit today because I'm feeling this. I'm feeling that I need to turn it back a little bit. I say I said some words today as well. I will be blatant about how I feel. Sometimes you're going to get a hard R. Sometimes it's a little R. But I need you to understand. I'm going to leave that R rating no matter what happens. So I need you to understand these are adult concepts and big boys and big girls only. Period. Because this isn't for everybody. This is the fight club of the mind. This is the fight club of your soul. You know, not everybody can handle that. There's a hell of a lot of people who aren't ready for this. But you are. And I'm trying to give you the ability to share this more by toning back some of the language. By by really letting you hear, taking away that blockade. Sometimes I'll drop F bombs. Today I didn't. But I'm letting you know where my heart is. I'm feeling this shift, right? Not now today, but I've been feeling over the last couple of episodes of going, I think I'm gonna tone it back a little bit. Just a little bit. Give that opportunity for you to share it more. I need you to share this. I need you to get this into more ears. That's how we're going to grow this show. That's how we're going to change this world. If you'd like to financially support me, there is PayPal right there. One-time donation. That'd be awesome sauce. Uh, I would love you forever. Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Rock Out of Podcasting. Links also on the Rock Out forward slash support page. You can support me there. You're going to get, shoot, I forgot to do the video again. We're do, we have plans to do videos, and I, I keep forgetting to move forward with it. It's just this locked-in habit of how we do the show, Mike, and we do it this way, and I need to change my habits. But there's going to be videos. There's definitely going to be extra content today for the patrons. There's, there's extra access. There's ways that you really can get involved in the show through Patreon. And then, of course, finally, your questions. I want more of your questions. You've got stuff going on in your life. How can I help you? How can I get that moving forward for you? Yes, see where I am. I'm the rock out of podcasting, man. I am the happiness. And that's how I phrase it. We just released, ra- released the Rage-A-Holic episode. And I talk about being the beast that carries the rage. But then I, I said, now find out how I became the happiness that I am. And if you understand that, this is your show, man. This is your show that will not only change your life, where you want it to be, it'll change everybody's life around you. So I need your questions. RGOP at charlesmcfall.com is how you email that in. And of course, on podcasting.com there is a speak pipe tab right there that you can leave your voice message. We want that. So all that being said, thanks for listening. Keep downloading, keep sharing. And let's go out and rock this video.
1: Okay, podcasters and YouTubers. My name is Mike Woodard, otherwise known as producer slash audio engineer for the rock god of podcasting. Look, you know you're producing amazing content, but is your audio game as tight as it needs to be? If you need to level up the overall sound of your show, I'm your guy. If you need a kick-ass intro for your show, I'm your guy. If you hate the sound of your own voice and just need someone to handle your voiceover narration, I'm your guy. Need music beds? Need sound effects? Just go to mikeatthemike.com. Check out my demos and take a look at my rates. You can sound better than you do, and I can help. mikeatthemike.com